people might ask, uh, why, Tim, are you doing uh, a whole series on the covenants of God? And I want to just explain why it's important to me before we start this morning. I've based my whole life upon Jesus Christ. Uh, my reason for being, my reason for living, all that I am is based on the truth of Jesus Christ. He's everything to me. He's my life. And for me, as I look back at these covenants, I see that Jesus Christ makes a lot of sense. That, that Jesus Christ was not an anomaly. He was not sort of just foisted on the world and um, a puzzle, a curiosity that people couldn't understand and put the pieces together. What God in his great grace has done through these covenants as he has gradually, and I think beautifully revealed why Jesus Christ is worthy of our lives is worthy of our confidence. And so it has to do it has to do with thanksgiving in that we are so thankful that Jesus Christ is something that God or the, the life and mission of Jesus on earth is something that God formulated before he even created the foundation of the earth. And um, it just, it just encourages me and is an inspiration to me that I know that Jesus is worth putting my life and investing my life entirely and completely in him. You know, paradise, paradise was lost when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God in the garden by eating that forbidden fruit. And, and what we're trying to do is trace how God is faithfully and deliberately creating the means by which paradise will one day be fully restored. If you look at Revelation, if you look at the last book of the Bible, and you, you look at how everything comes to fruition, you'll see as sort of one of the titles in, in Scripture Eden restored. Eden restored. The, the, the Bible starts with Eden and it ends with Eden. Starts with paradise, ends with paradise. And what we're doing is tracing how God could make that happen, how that could be realized fully. You know, there have been countless, countless numbers of casualties that have resulted from the introduction of sin in the Garden of Eden. Because we know that because of sin and God's intolerance of sin, the consequence for sin is death. And sometimes we confuse death with death. My, my mother-in-law, Doreen, died on Thursday, but she's not dead. <laughs> uh, she died physically on Thursday, but she's alive with Christ. And so, as Jesus said in his word to Martha, he says, you know, I'm the resurrection and the life. 
if, 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 if you believe in me, even though you die, you will live. And that is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so, what we're talking about as we look at these covenants is how God made this possible. How he realized his great love for us that we could, even though we have sinned, enter into this love relationship and this eternal reality with him, this life forever. I've employed this, this imagery of uh, the artist who skillfully, and, and, uh, and, and Susan, you weren't here last week, but I was, I was mentioning your name, how you, you so skillfully, skillfully can, can sit even during a presentation and draw something that is hard to decipher at first, but eventually comes into view exactly what the intention or your objective is. And um, I've employed that imagery because I think that this is how the covenants work and what they're revealing, the covenants reveal over time as God progressively and deliberately unfolds the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, is, is the person of Jesus Christ. And so that's what the covenants do. They present as though an artist was, was, was making the strokes on the paper. The covenants are the strokes which reveal ultimately Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus Christ is the result of all of brush strokes. We read in 2 Corinthians 5 that the scriptures are very clear about Jesus' purpose for coming to the world. For sin is the sting that results in death. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came so that sin would be defeated, and sin being defeated, the consequence of sin, which is death, would lose its grip on us. This is why Christ came. And we also read in 2 Corinthians 5, the forensics. Well, how did that work? How did Christ on the cross bring about the possibility that the penalty of sin, death, is no longer has mastery over it? And the forensics is this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. He took upon himself our sin and paid the penalty so that we could be righteous, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the great exchange that, it, that happened on the cross. The covenants help us understand that progressively over time. As in fact, in, in the New Testament, Paul writes about the fact that there's, there's, been, there's been a mystery that was revealed in Jesus Christ. And, and he says, he is just so thankful that he is part of the generation in which the mystery was revealed. So just as the portrait that's developing with the brushstrokes eventually results in the person of Jesus on the cross, the mystery is revealed in Christ. 
So, so far we've taken a look at three covenants. And, and we've learned some things from these covenants. And you have to start back in, in the beginning, in Genesis. The first one was the Edenic covenant. It was before Adam and Eve ate the fruit. And uh, we found out there that there would be a severe consequence for sin, and it would be death. Then there was the Adamic covenant, which came after the fall, after Adam and Eve had eaten the fruit. And we found out that at some point, God was going to bring a solution to the problem that they created by eating the fruit. That the seed of Eve, in other words, a person, would bring about the solution to the problem of their sin. The seed of Eve would crush Satan and defeat Satan and defeat sin. And sin would no longer result in death. And then last week we took a look at the Noahic covenant. And, and the story there is that the world's population had become so absolutely corrupt that God did a reset. And he brought judgment on people that were so corrupt, every thought that they had, every thought was evil. All of their intentions were evil. And there we found that it wasn't going to be through human effort that we would be made right with God, but we find that Noah was saved because he was right with God. And how was he right? He was right because of faith. And so we have the introduction of this idea that, yeah, there's going to be, we've sinned and we deserve death. We, we, there is um, a consequence for death, but there's going to be someone who's going to come along, the seed of the woman, an offspring of, of Eve, who's going to overcome that issue. And therefore, if we put faith in him, we can be right with God and therefore not have to fear death. So that's where we're at. And so today we're going to get an even closer idea, an even better view of who it is, who is this person that is promised to Eve in Genesis. And we find out that, we find that out by looking at the Abrahamic covenant. And it's found in Genesis 1, 1 to 3. Now, I've been using this rubric to, to help us understand the covenants as they come along. And, and so we've been taking a look at at three things in relation to each of the covenants. Today I'm going to reverse that, and I don't even know if I'm going to get through all of it, so I'm going to at least deal with the very first one, but we're doing this in reverse today. Um, we're going to take a look at the fact that um, progressively the covenants explain Jesus Christ, because I want you to understand the connection between Abraham and God's dealings with Abraham, his covenant with Abraham, and the person of Jesus Christ, who has brought righteousness and delivered us from the penalty of death. To do this, I'm going to take us right to an experience that Jesus Christ had. So we've been looking from the, from, from the, the, the past towards Jesus. Today I'm, we're going to be looking at an incident, an incident in which Jesus gives us an idea of how Abraham makes sense. 
So this is what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at a passage from John 8. We're going to start looking at um, this powerful interaction that Jesus had with the religious leaders of his day. One that was confounding to them, that they couldn't possibly understand. It was mind-boggling to them. At this point, the Jews are concerned Jesus is crazy or demon-possessed. Uh, they're just not getting it. In other words, they did not, they were not able to decipher the brushstrokes that were being created by God. And, and they said that religious leader, in this case, Jesus, the Gospels often called the religious leaders the Jews. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. Right there, Jesus is saying, I'm the solution to this issue of death. Not just temporal, physical death, but eternal death. I'm the solution. If you believe in what I say and what I do, you will not die. We'll never see death. So Jesus is saying this to the religious leaders. He's very clear. I have come to overcome sin and its consequences which lead to death. And then it continues. At this they exclaim, well now we know you're demon possessed. In other words, we know you're crazy. Abraham died, and, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will, nev will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? And Jesus replied, I glorify myself. If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim, claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you don't know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Now look at this. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Abraham lived hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus is saying here is incredible. He is saying that Abraham rejoiced at the day that this seed of the woman would come along. Did he know it was Jesus Christ who would be born in Bethlehem of Mary and Joseph and Mary, you know, the incarnation? Did he know about, you know, all that we celebrate at Christmas? Did he know all of that? I don't know, but I doubt it. But I do know that he knew that by faith, he somehow knew that there one day would be a solution to the issue of sin and death. And he was glad about it. It's an incredible statement that he makes. And he's saying, Jesus is saying, I am the active ingredient that's going to bring this about. I am going to be the one who overcomes sin and death. Well, you can imagine their response to this. 
You're not yet 50 years old, they said to him. You've seen Abraham? Say how limited their thinking is. And very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And at this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Why were they so infuriated with him? Well, here Jesus is claiming something else that's incredible. And he's saying, I am God. <laughs> and I spoke to Abraham. I'm the one who brought about the Abrahamic covenant. I made the covenant with Abraham. I am God. And how do they know that? Because the, word, the words I am is the name that God used with Moses from the burning bush. Moses wanted to know. Well, I'm going back to Egypt, and, and the people of Israel, they, you know, they don't even hardly know me other than they know I killed a guy, and, 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 and I grew up in, Pharaoh, in Pharaoh's home. They know that much about me. Like, who should I say told me all this stuff about you wanting to deliver them? And God said to them, just tell them I'm the I am. <laughs> just tell them that. I'm the I am. And look what Jesus says there. Before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus is saying, I am God. Of course, they saw that as heresy, and they, they wanted to kill him. So why do I present this story from John's Gospel before we talk about the covenant that God had with Abraham? Well, I want you to know that it's a rare opportunity in which God gives a very unique, his very unique perspective, an eternal perspective to us. In other words, Jesus is speaking to these Pharisees and these religious leaders, and he's shedding light on this big picture of redemption. And he's saying, Abraham... I used Abraham. My covenant with Abraham is related to what I'm about to do. I'm connected to Abraham. I was with him, and I am the fulfillment of what I said to him. And so we're set up now for, for this idea of this covenant that God makes with Abraham. Jesus is saying, I'm the fulfillment. I'm what Abraham was looking forward to. Because I was with him, and I was... Developing a covenant with him many, many, many years ago. So the Abrahamic covenant. And I'm going to just give you the Coles Notes version. I'm going to read and then make just a few uh, conclusions for this morning. The Abrahamic covenant. Genesis 12. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. So Abraham and Sarah are leaving what is now Iraq and going up to what is now Israel. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out for Haran, and he took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to the land of Canaan. 
and they arrived there. Canaan is what we now know as Israel. Abraham, uh, or Abram, traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah of Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And so we're starting to see what is all involved in this covenant that God makes with Abraham so many years before Jesus Christ. Later, when it, it became prudent that he should separate from Lot because they were both accumulating so, much, so many uh, flocks and, and, and servants and, and staff, um, once again, God reconfirms his covenant. The Lord said to Abraham after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. All the land you see, I will give you and your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I'm giving it to you. Over time, Abraham and Sarah just get older and older, and Abraham's starting to doubt, starting to get concerned about how he would ever have offspring. And he, and, and he mentions this to God. And God says, don't be afraid, Abraham. This is in Genesis 15. I'm your shield, your great reward. But Abraham saw, said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, you have given me no children. So, as a, ser so a servant in my household will be my heir. And it continues on in verses 4 to 6. Oh, I didn't put it up there. He says that you'll have a child. I'm going to give you a child. He'll be from your own body. His name will be Isaac. So then we go on to uh, Genesis 17. Abraham wrongfully tries to create offspring outside of God's will by having a, a child by his wife's servant, Hagar. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him again. I am the Lord God Almighty. Walk faithfully with me and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You'll be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I'll make you very fruitful. I'll make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I'll give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I'll be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As, as for you, you, you must... You must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you will be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner. Those who are not offspring, whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in the flesh is an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. 
And God also said to Abram, As for Sarah, your wife, you're no longer to call her Sarah. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. King of peoples will come. Kings of people will come from her. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as far as Ishmael, that was the son that he had by Hagar, I've heard you. I'll surely bless him. I'll make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He'll be the father of 12 rulers and will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. And then following Isaac's birth, God tested Abraham and actually asked for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. But then he withheld him from doing so. And these were God's words. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by heaven myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you've obeyed me. Now you're saying to me, well, boy, you should have gotten the message. How many times did, did God repeat that? But you must understand that these, God speaking to Abraham repeatedly happened over time, a lot of years. So what's the essence of the covenant? Here it is. God will give Abraham land. He will give Abraham descendants. He will make a great nation of those descendants. And he will bless the entire world through that nation. Abraham will be circumcised. Essentially, the act of circumcision was the act by which he was... Everyone who is circumcised is, is saying essentially this, that my offspring... My offspring are from Abraham, and God made a promise with Abraham, and therefore they are children of the covenant. So, what's the thought? We're going to start with point number one, and only do one today, and that's this. The covenants of God progressively explain Jesus Christ and his mission. How does the covenant that God made with Abraham about the land, about his offspring, about the people being blessed by him, how does that have to do with Jesus Christ? Well, clearly, it's Genesis 22:18. Through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. That's Jesus Christ. All peoples on earth will be blessed through your offspring. And so we start to see the fact that, in fact, because of the covenant God made with Abraham, we now know that Jesus Christ is going to be, a, from the offspring of Abraham, will be a Jew, will be part of the Jewish family. This is why in Matthew 1.1, we see the genealogy of Jesus Christ, starting with these words. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
And then he starts, Abraham had a son named Isaac. You see, Jesus can be traced to Abraham. Abraham was told by God, all the earth will be blessed by your offspring. And Jesus Christ was clearly one of the offspring. And then Paul says in Galatians 3, 4, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. Did you see that? The blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. So what we have in the covenant that Abraham was given by God is a promise that all peoples on earth will be blessed. Can you think of any greater blessing than the gift of salvation from the tyranny of sin and its consequence, death? It is the greatest blessing. And this is why it makes sense that God would say to Abraham, your offspring are going to be, or is going to be, a blessing to all of the earth. Not just your family, but everyone as well. I'm going to stop there for today because I think that it's, it's really critical that we, 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 we appreciate that God, in dealing with Abraham, had the plan of Jesus Christ, and that Jesus Christ would be the ultimate fruition or fulfillment of that covenant made to Abraham that all of the world would be blessed through his offspring. What does that do for you? What does that mean to you as a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, as I said at the outset, it should fill you with inspiration and hope that your faith isn't unfounded, that it's not placed in a Jesus Christ who's just, you know, an anomaly, but that he is a product of God's history. He is the fruition of God's great plan of redemption. And so, yeah, Abraham existed a long time ago. What does he have to do with me? Well, actually, Paul writes in Romans, he's your father. Abraham is your father if you are a follower of Jesus Christ because you're a person of faith. He was a person of faith. And Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior. And so Abraham, in fact, is um, a faith father, if you will, a father of the faith for you and for me. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for these covenants that you have given through time, and how you broke into Abraham's life, and how you were willing to make a promise with him, not because of anything that he had done. As a matter of fact, as your word says, he used to worship pagan gods until you broke through in his life. Lord, I thank you that you did that, and that that was just all part of the plan that you had of bringing about Righteousness for those of us who would put faith in Jesus Christ. 
Lord, we thank you that you are ageless and that you have brought about your perfect plan of redemption over time. Help us to appreciate all that you have done through time so that we can fully understand and appreciate Jesus Christ, our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. And uh, happy Thanksgiving. Thank you.